welcome to the producer podcast this is the show where we interview successful electronic music producers from around the world and we ask them how they're making the music what they're doing in the studio we talk about their careers see if we get some marketing advice out there for you guys and the goal of this show is to you know help you out there get inspired about making great music and succeed in the electronic music world we always have killer producers on the show i'm really happy because we have an amazing producer on this show Grabitz is joining us. Just moved to LA from Buffalo. Um, Grabitz, how you doing today, man? <laughs> Pretty good. How how are you, Steve? I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, you're the second guest in a row that made me jealous that I don't live in LA. So you just moved out there, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just getting used to it. I've only been here for about a week. I mean, other than when I've been here on you know vacation and stuff. But um, living out here is going to take some getting used to, but it's really cool. I love the city. I love downtown and Hollywood. It's all really great. And the electronic music scene there is, tell us about it. Um, well, from what I've gathered so far, it's very strong. I haven't really gotten to um, get my bearings here yet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, all of the best shows go on here and there's a ton of producers that live around here. So, you know, I'm hoping to just uh, broaden my network and, and meet a lot of people. That's so cool. I say I'm jealous because I've tried, I'm, I'm, I live in Tampa and I've tried to get like EDM producers together. I've, I started a meetup group, like the EDM producers group. I'm like, finally, I'm going to get all these guys together. We're just going to talk EDM. And like, and, and like I was the only person that would show up every week. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it might be a time for a change for me, but that's really cool. Um, it's your career. It looks like it's doing fantastic. And uh, it sounds, sounds like you're in the right place. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, tell us more about yourself, the kind of music you're doing, and you know how you got into this. Um, all right. Well, when I was 14 years old, I started producing on GarageBand, um, you know, with just like a MIDI keyboard and GarageBand. And uh, I started mainly with hip-hop production because I actually used to rap. So I used to just kind of produce hip-hop beats and, uh, and then rap over them. Um, so that's like where a lot of like my hip hop influence, like trap stuff comes from. Um, you know, it was like translated later into trap, into what everyone calls trap now. But um, so I started really young and then I made like a natural progression from GarageBand to Logic um, Pro, which is like, you know, been working really, really great for me. I can do everything I want to do in it. Um, and then I got into electronic probably in 2009 when I first heard Skrillex's first uh, EP made me want to do it so I got into electronic production that way and like dance music production and I really um, wanted to like mesh my old style you know from like age 15 to 19 with this electronic music so that's what I've been trying to do um, and recently I've been adding my own vocals into tracks because you know I top line and I sing and so I figured you know I could throw it in so that's where like you know songs like here with you now and turn around you know uh, I've been going down that lane recently yeah well they they sound fantastic I mean you're an excellent singer thank um, you thank you yeah yeah I mean and just anybody like if you hit up his SoundCloud page and you play these two songs he just mentioned it's turn around and what is it here with you now here, yeah here with you now um just watch all the comments like 90 percent of them are like dude you can sing awesome vocals my favorite song it's like really good stuff it helps it helps a lot to do that because um 
you know, first of all, you know, I get like top lining ideas and a lot of people, if, if they, if they can write top lines and they can't sing them, then, you know, you have to outsource your vocals and you have to find the right vocalist. And, um, it, it's a huge advantage to be able to do it. Um, I'm really lucky that I can. So, well, can you tell us a little more about that? Like, let's get technical about your vocals because they're very full. It sounds like you're using some type of like octave, uh, or like harmonizer or something. Are you, are you using effects like that or how's it going with that? Not really harmonizers. I, um, I run a, uh, U87 microphone through an Avalon preamp and then the Avalon preamp goes into an Avalon hardware compressor. So those are two pieces of hardware. There's the preamp and the compressor. Um, that's like seven grand right there with all that equipment, right? It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's up there. All right, but go ahead. <laughs> um, so then that goes into my setup and, uh, basically I will sing and, you know, take the raw vocal. I, I should be able to, I, I should have pulled up the track so I could have told you exactly. No, don't worry about basically, it. Basically, I will EQ it first and foremost. I'll take, take out the low end and, and boost where I need to boost and cut where I need to cut. And then I will, uh, I will usually compress so that the vocal, you know, stays in the same you know, range of loudness. I don't want it to be too dynamic. You know, you don't want to kill all the dynamics, but I, mm -hmm. I want it to be able to like sit where I want it to sit and the quiet parts are as, as loud as the, uh, loud parts. So then I'll usually distort it a very small amount, like probably like on the dry wet scale, I'll do like 2% distortion, but sometimes it helps. In logic, um, a logic distortion. Uh, you know, sometimes I use isotope trash. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite plugins. So I'll, I'll distort with that or yeah, sometimes logic actually has a really nice stock clip distortion, um, you know, plugin. I use that a lot. So sweet. And then you add layers like, Oh yeah. I'll, I'll, um, you know, for like a lead vocal will probably be like two stacked vocals on top of each other. And I'll make sure that they are perfectly in sync. Um, you know, that there's no like overlapping of words or S's or F's or P's or anything. Um, and then, you know, backup vocals in total, there should probably be about like six layers of vocals, you know, whether I'll do normally like the top line and then I'll try, if I can, I'll sing one octave lower. Mm -hmm. And if I can, which is really difficult, I'll try and sing one octave higher. That doesn't work out all the time, but I see. Um, with a little bit of processing and, you know, like Melodyne or Autotune or whatever, you can get it to sound pretty good. Gotcha. Ah, that makes sense. That And it sounds just like you described. Very cool, man. Good. Thanks for giving us that Thanks. information. Thanks. Yeah. And I could hear in your music, you know, especially in the later tracks, you got, it, it is dubstep, but you have like, there's it's like I've got a fast pace and a lot of like staccato beats in it. And I guess that's like from the trap and hip hop influences. You're, like you said, you're trying to meld everything together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just trying to make it as natural as it comes. You know, I want to be able to sit down and I don't want to fall into any category of what a song is supposed to sound like. I just kind of want to use my own creativity and try and like create my own thing rather than try and like, uh, make it sound a certain way, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to sit down and make dubstep today. You know, I could use that formula and I could be like, okay, I'm going to do a build up and a drop or I'm going to 
I'm going to do 140 beats per minute and I want it to sound like dubstepy. But then, but then when the song starts getting finished and the song starts like, you know, the meat of the song is being produced. Like I I don't want to, I want to just let it all flow and do my thing. So that's why I try and, you know, preserve a little bit of songwriting uh, in there, you know, so I can keep like, um, I try and make like new, like formulas, like, you know, I'll do a, hook in the beginning and then a build up and a drop and then another hook, you know? So I don't know, just screwing around trying to make new things. No, it's really good. It's like, you're not adhering to any like genre or rules or just making the music that sounds good to you. Right. Yes. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like the genres, I, you know, I know it's, it gets a little complicated. Yeah. And it's just, it's music. There's no need for that. Exactly. Well, your career seems like it's doing really well. I mean, you're signed to some huge labels. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know, how you took it to the next level and got signed with Monster Cat and other places? Um, Monster Cat uh, reached out to me via SoundCloud. Um, Jonathan from Monster Cat reached out and was like, yo, um, you know, we're, we're digging your style, this and that. You know, you have anything you could send us. And at that time I had been like kind of stockpiling my latest track. So like when he reached out, I already had here with you now and turn around and wow. a few other tracks completed. Um, I and I was blew like, him away, right? Well, they, 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 they liked them. They, <laughs> um, they requested a few different changes and turn around. Like the original track really didn't sound that much different than the one that, uh, we put out via monster cat. But, um, you know, it, it was just a really cool, like we sent them right over and they were like, you know, okay, we really dig here with you now. Like we want maybe the second drop of turnaround to sound like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, two days later we hit them, I hit them back with, with what they had requested. And then they were like, okay, let's sign both of these. And, um, they're really, really great. The monster cat guys, um, Ori and Jonathan and, um, Mike Darlington, and they're really, really cool and easy to work with. And they like to give me a lot of like creative freedom. So, so far we've only signed two tracks with them. Um, I think we're going to be doing an EP, um, later in October. Um, it's already finished, but, um, it's great. It's going to be cool. Oh yeah. And I do hear a lot of good things about that. Um, and, but you mean to tell me you just had stuff on SoundCloud. They contacted you out of the blue. Well, you know, over time, we've built relationships like uh, I've built relationships and my manager, Ashley and, uh, and Danny, I have two managers, Ashley, uh, Johansson and Danny Sellis, and they've built a lot of relationships over time. And I've been, I've gotten to the point where this is before Monster Cat reached out where any dubstep releases or any kind of release would be, um, you know, we could get it premiered on bigger blogs and, um, get a, like a lot of reach together. I'm not sure what tracks they had heard that made them interested. Gotcha. But I'll have to ask them because I'm actually interested to know that myself. <laughs> That's cool. Now, what was the point in your career when you knew you needed to get a manager and how did you procure like your awesome staff that you have working with you here? Um, well, I had, me and Danny um, had talked Danny Sellis, uh, he manages the Madden brothers and a few other projects. Um, and I had known him, um, gotten introduced to him through an old friend and, uh, he knew about my production for a while and he was interested in it. Uh, 
and then we, you know, had an open line of communication with each other. Then when he um, started working with Lafitte Management here in L.A., then he reached out and, you know, they had brought on Ashley, who is like an electronic music guru. And she has so many connections and she's just really, really strong in that world. Um, They had brought her on and Danny had noticed that, you know, I was doing more of the electronic production. So we wanted to kind of do like a team thing and we, you know, started working from there and everything has just been skyrocketing. We've all been really happy with the way things have been turning out and we've been working together to try and get it together and get the live performance together and, um, you know, figure out how we're going to push the brand and what brand we're going to push. And it's really been a cool little journey that we've been doing so far. Yeah, dude, it sounds like a blast. I mean, congratulations on coming this far. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. Sure. Well, tell us the most amazing moment you've had so far of your career. Does anything stand out as like, like complete, like elation? Like this is like the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, today actually it happened (laughs) or just, just like two days ago. Um, (laughs) I've been working with, uh, with, with, uh, his name's Anthony Zyker. He's the creator of CSI and I've been trying to get um, my tracks, a couple of tracks synced into the new franchise, um, CSI Cyber. So they actually had placed one of my tracks in the first episode. Wow. I don't even know if I should be saying this, but <laughs> it's, 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 it's exciting. So um, they had placed it and, you know, they needed a few requests. So I had to um, kind of tailor the track to the scene. And I did that this morning. And it turned out really, really cool. And so basically that is the most exciting moment I'd say thus far. Wow. Dude, that's awesome. You're like, I want to be on, in, I want to have a track in CSI and then bam, you did it. Well, yeah. I mean, I had had a connection with Anthony and we've been wanting to work together with, um, you know, for about a year and a half now. And, you know, finally this opportunity came across and it, it's really, really cool. Dude, that sounds really awesome. No, I love people who like they set these goals and they want to do something and then they make it happen. I mean, those are the movers and shakers. And it sounds like you're one of those people. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I want to get into a couple different lanes of the music industry. I'm, you know, I'm big on on scoring and and, uh, you know, cinematic uh, stuff like that that goes along with visuals. And so, you know, eventually I'd like to get my foot in the door in that lane as well. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun and very rewarding doing that type of work. Yes. Seeing, seeing music with visuals is, is really, really intense. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's evidenced by like, you know, if you even go to like EDM festivals and stuff, the, the light show and the video, it, it, without that, I mean, the show would exactly. be like half missing, you know? You're right. Well, what have you found through your career thus far is the biggest challenge you had to face and how did you overcome it? Jeez. I say uh, one of my biggest challenges right now is honing in on on a specific um, sound. Okay. And trying to you know build a specific brand. Um, so what I'm doing is basically you know taking these um, songs, like you know I write a ton of songs that don't necessarily blend with with my you know Gravitz style right now with the project Gravitz that I'm doing. So. Um, you know, finding ways to kind of outsource different writing. And, you know, like if I'm, if I write a song that wouldn't necessarily fly 
with like a Gravitz fan per se, then, you know, I got to find a different outlet for it. And then taking songs that I think would be good for Gravitz, you know, like with a heavier, maybe a dubstep or a trap or something like that, um, morphing those so that they fit a certain particular sound, you know, like the biggest challenge is to get people to recognize your music from hearing it. They don't need to know that it's you. They just know. I see. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. Haven't necessarily overcome it yet, but I'm working at it. So that's pretty cool. So you said earlier, you write some songs that might not fit like the grab its brand. What do you do with a song like that? Like, do you sell it out or like go make it like you're a ghostwriter for somebody else or what? Basically, there's yeah. a couple of different options. You know, if I write a song like that, I'll usually demo out the vocals and um, and just send it to my management. They 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 take care of everything from there. Huh. That's very cool. So you have that's very cool that you have that. Like, you don't have to write a Grabbit's tune. You just write whatever you want, whatever fits. You keep whatever doesn't goes off somewhere else. Yes, I I, I like to treat them like projects, and you know, with with Grabbit's. I like to just, you know, if I have a song that I think the vocals are, are going to be cool and I can, I can make a dance tune out of it, I can make something that is, you know, heavy hitting, I'll definitely do it because I have a strong passion for that kind of music. Yeah. And I have a lot of different passions for tons of different kinds of music. <laughs> so whatever I need to write or whatever I feel like I have to write, I just do. And that's what I love about doing this because you, you get that freedom. You, you really have it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. How did yes. you come up with the name Grabbits? Oh, it's stupid. It was just <laughs> uh, a long, long time ago, you know, when I was rapping um, and really young, like 14, 15, rapping. Yeah. Um, and I would say vulgar things or whatever, um, use a lot of language. I just wanted to make up a alter ego so that I, so that I didn't have to use my name. And it was Grabbits, and it just <laughs> stuck ever since. That's funny, man. I just never really changed it because, you know, the, then, you know, amongst my friends and when I got the rap thing going, then I actually people would recognize Grabbits on a very small scale. And I kind of had like an alter ego that I would go to. And it's just I never changed it. No, it's, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes it's hard to tear away from a nickname that just sticks. Yeah. It's, I think it's cool, though. I think it's it's a cool name. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get geeky and talk about some gear and some studio stuff. Um, you okay. mentioned earlier that you're using Logic. Is that your doll of choice that you're using still? Oh, yeah. Yeah? What, what do you like about it? Um, well, first and foremost, it's the closest. Well, you know, not so much anymore, but when I was transitioning from GarageBand to Logic, it was very smooth, the transition, because it's, you know, essentially the same, but like 10 times more intricate right and you know just that on a on a real basic level it's very similar to GarageBand um other than that I've just grown to know it so well that you know there's really nothing else I can describe this is why I like it I just know it so well yeah. I can I navigate my way through logic very easily and you know I try and try and screw around with Ableton and you know I mean if you if you use a DAW enough times, you're going to be able to navigate through it. But I just never really, if I if I practiced Ableton, I'd probably be able to do Ableton, obviously. But I just figure I could stick with Logic. Yeah, 
I know what you mean. There's there's almost like a point of no return with some dolls where you have enough hours you put into it. You know that if if you ever have to get any serious work done, that's the one you go to. And then you try yes. other ones and try to get into other ones. And I know for me, I'm always going back to well, my doll. I like Studio One. And I always go back to it no matter what. And I have all of the other ones, but I never mm-hmm. stick with them, you know? Exactly. Yeah, Logic is uh, it's pretty killer. And I, I find it interesting, though, that you found it like an easy transition from GarageBand. Because mm-hmm. I remember going from GarageBand to Logic 9, and I'm like, wow, it's like a million <laughs> times more complicated. It is. Um, you know, I, I worked in Pro Tools for a while because yeah. I had Pro Tools set up. I had like an Avid set up um, yeah. at, back in Buffalo. But then I, I was mainly using Pro Tools to track vocals and stuff. And then eventually um, it got to the point where I was tracking vocals and Pro Tools and then exporting them and make, and adding them to the beats in Logic. Right. And um, it just got too much of a pain. Then I figured out, uh, I solved the problem that I had a long time ago with like latency and vocal recording in Logic. And then obviously as I evolved, I figured out how to fix that. And then I just recorded in Logic. Yeah, that's, that's smart. If you could do everything in one doll, it's much better. It's a beautiful thing, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, tell us about your workflow. Like, how do you write a song? Oh, it's it's different. Uh, you know, when it comes to uh, like a, a full-on song with like you know a verse, hook, verse, hook, like a pop song or or you know an alternative type of song, I usually write it on the guitar or piano. Like, just straight up write the lyrics on a piece of paper, play it out on a guitar or piano, and then kind of translated into production, but with stuff like, uh, like here with you now and turn around, you know, I'll usually start with the drums, you know, um, it's actually weird. Like here with you now, the whole first like minute or so where the vocals come in before the buildup, that was all completed first, hmm. like totally 100% completed from hmm. the beginning to the minute point. Huh. And then I went on to do the buildup and the drop and then, you know, the breakdown, um, once the meat is done, it's actually pretty easy to, you know, like finish out a track. Um, but yeah, I'll usually start with the drums and a melody will be in mind. I'll never really do drums without a melody being in mind. Okay. Um, yeah. So if that answers the question. No, no, it totally does. And what you said about like getting the meat done, it's, I know what you mean. It's like you get the bass down and then it's like just decorations on top of that. Like, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. Like with, with dubstep, you know, dubstep now relies on a lot of, well, my style of dubstep, you know, relies on a lot of like surprises to the ear, like, you know, little variations of, of basses and, and different use of basses, different sounds contrasting off of each other. So that takes a while to, you know, like fine tune and all of that stuff. But once that's done, once you get your basses that you want to use, and you have everything kind of arranged, it's, it's, it's them pretty fast. Right, right. Now, and I like in your music, you can hear how you, it sounds like you put effort into having like all these tonal differences that kind of meld together in, in a nice combination. It really sounds polished, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Now, do you have any killer production tips you can give the guys, the listeners? Um, yeah, well... Let's see. I'm just thinking of a couple of things that I do, and I, I don't necessarily know if they're you know universally used um, methods or whatever because I haven't really gotten the chance to collaborate with that many people in studio. I just kind of know my own workflow and right. 
at, at this point, um, at least. But what I'll do is, um, you know, the heavy hitting drums like kicks and the snares, I will, um, I'll bust them out to a channel. Um, and then I will, you know, kind of work on those as a whole. So if I'm going to like compress the kick and the snare, I will, you know, I, I can compress them on their own, but then like as an overall thing, make sure the levels are all good and limited and whatever I need to do, I'll do that on the channel, but I'll also do that for, for the guts of the track. So like if there's like seven different bases that I'm going to be using, like hard bases, like in turn around all the leads and all the bases and all the synths and all the background stuff, I will put that all to one channel. So pretty much anything that's not a drum, I'll put to one channel and I will process that channel as a whole. Really? And, and what happens is then if there's any stray peaks or anything that gets a little bit too loud, you can control it, which, which then, you know, gives you the ability to have a really, really clean mix and you don't, you don't clip or, you know, nothing will happen that you have to like worry too much about in the mix when, when you get to the mix down point. I see. And it does it, it glues it all together too, like sonically? Yeah, it depends on how you compress it. But, you know, like if you can, you know, you put like a multi-presser on that Logix is called multi-presser, but like a multi-band compressor. Um, and, and then you can pretty much control every aspect of the dynamics. And, you know, it, it's really, really cool because then all of your bases, no matter what they are, will sound glued together. They'll sound like they're processed in the same way. Right. You know, like one bass won't, won't be two decibels louder than another bass. And they could be like milliseconds apart from each other. So you need them to sound cohesive. Right. Very interesting. How did you get good at using a uh, multiband compressor? I, I still have, I mean, I understand the concept of it, but I don't know the best way to use one. Um, basically... Uh, I watch a ton of, ton of, ton of tutorials <laughs> and, um, you know, like, um, Dave Pensado and Pensado's place on YouTube yeah. and stuff. I'm all about that stuff. I actually, I did, um, a year of mixing and, or it was a half a year of mixing and mastering, um, on DubSpot through their online courses. Yeah. And that helped a lot. Um, my instructor was Daniel Wyatt. He he taught an, a really really in depth about mixing and mastering. But basically, with the multiband compressor, if you just all you really have to do is break it down. You know, you don't want to look at it as a whole because then it's too much. So if you go in and you want to compress the bass, you want to compress the low end. You know mute the other bands. So mute the other three bands or, you know, sometimes there's more, but yeah. mute the other three bands and just focus on compressing the bass and see how much, you know, gain reduction and see where you're at. And then you can do your makeup gain or whatever. And just, if you do them individually, then it becomes a lot less confusing. Ah, that that's, makes any sense. No, that's know. an amazing tip. That's a really good tip. Just mute the other ones. Yeah, you mute the other ones. Like, you know, when it comes down to like me putting all of my, all of my like um, instruments that aren't, aren't drum tracks or hi-hats or whatever, I'll, I'll also send all of the hi-hats and cymbals to another channel and process them all, 
you know, I'm pretty sure that's a common universal thing. I mean, to send your hi-hats out to a bus or send your kicks and snares out to a bus or whatever. But then, you know, I can limit them. And, and But if I want to take my instrument channels out to a bus and multiband compress them, and I want to make sure that the bass doesn't go above, you know, however many decibels, or I want to make sure that the high end doesn't get too out of control, I'll do those in steps. Because if you try and do them all at one time and you try and jump from the low end to the high end or, oh, I got to make this ratio higher, I got to make the threshold lower, then you, you really got to just focus in on one thing. I see. I see. No, that's amazing information. We, we haven't gone too in depth on the show yet about multi-man compressors, and I've always wanted to. So thanks for sharing that with us. Great. I'm happy to help, man. Yeah. Now, tell us in your studio... What is the one thing you cannot live without? I mean, this could be hardware. It could be a plug-in. What is like the thing that if you were missing, you would be sad? Uh, a, a keyboard MIDI controller. Yeah? I would never, I wouldn't, that's why I can't produce on a laptop. I can't, I need, I can't draw stuff in. I mean, I can, <laughs> but it would be disgusting amounts of work for me. Yeah. I, Play everything in via keyboard. Everything. Good for you, Trumps, man. Good for you. Pianos, whatever, basses, it's all keyboard. I wouldn't live without it. Uh, I, I was like you, but I'm forced in certain situations when all I have is my laptop and I want to write something to, mm -hmm. to draw in. And believe it or not, it's, it's definitely a skill that needs to be acquired. It's almost like, oh, learning, yeah. it's almost like learning a complete instrument. It really is. Um, but I'm with you. If I have the opportunity, man, MIDI keyboard all the way. <laughs> now, do, yeah. you, do you quantize when you, when you uh, use it? Like, even quantize the beginning and the ends, or is it just, do you let it just flow, or it depends? Well, it, depend, it depends yeah. really on what it is. Like, with basses and stuff, and, you know, like high lead synths, obviously, pretty much, pretty much everything gets quantized. You know, it, unless it's like a hi hat pattern that I think I want to that I want to sound organic, or if it's right. if it's something I want to emulate like organicness, or I want to bring an organic feel, which I try and do in every song. But like if it's a piano or a guitar, most of my guitar is played in by actual guitar as well. So, um, but if I'm trying to get more organic, then I will manually, you know offset the quantization, you know, or add a little bit of swing or make sure that the strength is not that high on the quantizer. Right, right. I do the same thing. Or sometimes, if it's just a good take, I won't even touch the quantization. Nope. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, I just got an email from Native Instruments today. If anybody is, like, subscribed to their newsletter or whatever, did you, sure. see, <laughs> did you see these new keyboards they got coming out, these new MIDI controllers? Yeah, what, what is that, the Complete 10 keyboard or whatever? Yeah, it's like the Complete 10 keyboard, but like the keys have these backlights on them. There's all these digital readouts. What are they called? They're called the Complete Control keyboards, and dude, they look so badass. I want to play one so bad. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm, I'm a Native Instruments, like, actual junkie. <laughs> So like when, when something comes out on native instruments and like, you know, I have to have it, my main goal for the next however many weeks is to just find a way to acquire whatever they have put out. <laughs> it's so it's actually a sad thing that they put out a keyboard today because I know that in three weeks I'm going to have it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and you know when something big is coming out, when they mark something down 50%. You just know. You just got to wait like another couple weeks, and then the next like revision's coming out. 
Yeah, and complete ten looks ridiculous. I mean, I'm a complete guy too, so like, I'm, I have everything Native Instruments has pretty much ever put out to date. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited to upgrade and see what you know. Complete ten. I know they have some really cool new stuff. I just can't. I haven't gotten to look at it yet, but I can't wait to. Yeah, I know what you mean. And complete is so huge. I mean, I, I don't even know what's new in ten yet because I don't even want to look because I. I, number one, I know I can't afford it. And number two, I'm going to be overwhelmed <laughs> by it. It's so much stuff in these complete bags. It is overwhelming. But if yeah. you can find a way to, you know, I mean, like, even in complete nine, I know there's a plenty of stuff I haven't touched. Um, yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that is, like, just so cool. Like, damage. Have you ever screwed around with damage? No. Does that come with nine? I think it comes with nine. It's a, uh, it is that a contact uh, instrument yeah, set? Yeah. Contact five damage is like uh, it's all of these crazy percussion, uh, heavy, big drum samples that they've like distorted to no end. Really, and it's like if you ever need like impacts for for movies or anything, it's like the craziest thing. Oh man, I gotta get that. I think I've seen the trailer for that. What I find pretty amazing is Reactor. It's so like under estimated under talked about like reactor has so many cool things you could just like throw in there and and screw around with it's a hundred percent the most complicated intricate thing native instruments has ever put <laughs> yeah. out yeah i mean anything where you could build your own synth yeah that's got to be a little complicated it's a different world like there there's um when i i also did a year at dubspot um for sound design and there's like they don't even talk they don't even cover reactor until like halfway it, you got to just it's a whole nother world reactor's a whole nother world anyone that can navigate through reactor and you know i'm working at it but anyone that can like is comfortable like just constructing these synths from scratch is actually like a king of sound design i know i know what you mean they're like super genius level super super tech genius you can't you can't only be musically talented you have to be a straight up tech Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, that's cool, man. Thanks for geeking out with me about that stuff. That's fun. No problem. I'd be happy to geek out anytime, man. <laughs> cool. Well, before we end off, tell the listeners, if, uh, if you could give an aspiring producer out there one piece of advice, like the best piece of advice, what would you tell them right now? Uh, to produce every second that you can. Every second that you can. If you can't produce, you know, if you got to work or if you have to do something else, every second that you don't have to do that other thing, be in your DAW trying to get better and just try, try and learn more. Be on YouTube. Try and watch more tutorials. There's never enough tutorials to watch. There, you can't watch them all. So just keep learning. Keep expanding your knowledge. Um, you know, keep learning how to do different functions in the DAW. Eventually you'll be able to translate every idea you have in your head into music. So dude, that's awesome advice. And man, I'm, I'm with you so much. Like people don't, people don't know what they don't know. So if they keep practicing and practicing and practicing, that's the only way to get better. There's no other way. So exactly. Yeah, there's there's a plenty of times, you know, a year or two ago, even a year ago or two years ago where, you know, I've got this idea and I cannot make it happen. You can't make it happen. You know, you want 
the violin to do this or you want a synthesizer to do this and you just can't make it happen until you learn more about how to make it happen. So then you just, you got to learn it and then you apply it. So really good stuff, man. Listen to Grabbits, guys. He knows what he's talking about here. Thanks, man. Now, where can people find out more about you and hear all your music? SoundCloud. Uh, SoundCloud.com slash Grabbits. Everything is on there. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people saying how SoundCloud's on the outs or whatever it is. All my music's still on there. So um, definitely that is the outlet you're going to want to do because I upload all the music myself and Anything that I repost, I control what is reposted onto my profile. So that's the spot. Awesome. Definitely check it out. It's soundcloud.com slash grabbits. And we're going to have links to all of his, uh, you know, his Facebook, Twitter, and all that stuff in the show notes. Well, Grabbits, thanks so much, man, for doing this interview. It's been a blast. Thanks, man. I really had a great time talking with you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And everyone who is listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. That's going to be it for the producer podcast for today. See you next time.